Welcome back to another episode of the Mid-American Bandwagon Podcast. It's episode 15. I'm Sam Thillman, your normal co-host, joined as well as Zach Foley. Zach, how are you doing on this fine Thursday? And I'm doing good. It's uh, it's Thursday. We're, we're less than three weeks away from, uh, from action. So it's getting closer, so close I can almost taste it. But uh, it's, a, it's a good day to be alive. Excited to be here to talk some Max Sports. No doubt. We had the NBA Finals uh, ch- uh, crown the champion last week. It's I, I've been I've been I've been on kind of a sports high recently, just having fun, living life. We got as you mentioned, Mac coming back in three weeks. It's it's a it's a good time to be alive. It's crazy, like the, when everything got delayed back in you know April and May. I mean, it sucked, but it's created here over the last couple of weeks where we're like, we had basketball going, we had baseball, we had hockey, we had college football all going at the same time. I'm, I'm not complaining. <laughs> yeah. And, and before we get in our general news segment, just a quick disclaimer, we, uh, Twitter right now is down. So we can't unfortunately see your replies. So we're just going to push the question and like covering your replies next week, just because I can't see your replies. Zach can't see your replies. So we just figure we'll cover uh, this Twitter question and the uh, whatever we come up with for next week's on next week's episode, and we'll just do our normal general news segment. We have a couple of football previews, and we actually have a special interview lined up with a basketball player that we we think you're going to really enjoy. So Zach, to kick it off, we had a couple kind of NCAA and MAC news. If you wanna if you wanna break us down, what happened over this past week? Yeah, it's been a busy world, uh, busy week, I should say, in the world of college athletics. The the big news that applies to uh, the NCAA as a whole, uh, and something that I'm excited to get your thoughts on here, Sam. But the NCAA has finally amended their their decades old transfer rule, where where student athletes would have to sit out a year, uh, of, you know, waste a year of eligibility if they transferred schools. That has been rescinded by the NCAA, so that penalty is no longer in place. Athletes uh, starting uh, in August are going to be able to transfer and play immediately with no penalty. So um, I think a lot of people have been calling for this for a long time. You, you know, you've heard a lot of people talk about how coaches can break their contracts and go coach at another school and accept another job and not have to sit out a year. And you know, why do athletes have to sit out? Well, now. Um, it's official, you know, that's not going to be something that happens anymore. I think this is something that we've all kind of seen coming, Sam, especially with, you know, the NCAA granting all these transfer eligibility waivers recently over the last couple of years. Uh, but I think this is something that people have been waiting for for a long time. Yeah. And, and what's interesting is I've been in favor of this a long time. Like I haven't been open about, but I've been in favor of allowing transfers of media eligibility. What I will be curious to see is the numbers of if the numbers of transferring people going in the transfer portal and actually transfer out increase kind of what those numbers are like, because if we get to a point where it's just everybody transferring everywhere, is the NCAA going to have to clamp down on that? Like is, is just like, I'm just, I'm just wondering five years down the road, is this going to be a big success or is this just going to be a just sort of disaster if you want to put it? Yeah, I think the answer to that question is a lot of it's going to depend upon how the NCAA manages this, which means it may well be a disaster given how we normally see things from the NCAA. But yeah, I I hear what you're saying. And I I would expect there to probably be an increase in transfers over these next couple of years, just because, you know, the 
the the main reason not to do it used to be that you'd have to sit out a year and you take that penalty away. And I, I would expect to see a lot more transfers now. Um, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I think it certainly changes things uh, in terms of building a program and building a team. You're going to be able to, you know, go to the transfer portal, like professional teams use free agency almost, which is, I mean, you're already kind of seeing that, but yeah, this is a, I think this is a big change that everyone has been expecting and waiting for. And it's uh you know, it's, it's interesting to see it finally come to fruition and it'll be interesting to see, like you said, how this affects things over the next few years. And, and one thing I think I, I, I kind of picture happening is more inner inner conference transfers, because yeah. when you look at it, it used to be the, the previous rule was you had to sit out a year. There was uh, with, of course, exceptions or whatnot, but you had to wait out the year. So with that lifted, you could see players hopping from rival team to rival team. Maybe let's say they in football, they go from Alabama to Auburn, Auburn to Alabama. We can see a lot of stuff happening in the Mac wise. I think I think this is going to change like the look of every conference, because I think more players are going to take the route of, hey, let's let's take a year. Let's see how we fit in the system. And if I don't get the playing time, I don't have to wait out a year. Let me go find somewhere I can I can start immediately. And I, I think this is going to be an interesting look for the NCAA moving forward. Yeah, I agree. And actually, one, uh, one other interesting part of this legislation and something that you brought up is you're talking about interconference transfers. Well, another part of this legislation is that it's, um, it's going to block schools from having any objection to the transfer or being able to tell the, the student athlete that you can't transfer to these schools. It used to be a lot of times, you know, a student would ask for their release from their scholarship and their intent to transfer. And the school uh, that they were leading would say, okay, we're going to let you transfer, but you can't transfer to these schools in our conference or in our division or whatever the case may be. The schools are no longer going to have that ability. So I, th I wouldn't be surprised to see some more interconference transfers because of that, as you mentioned, Sam. And, and before we move on, I think that brings up an interesting point. I don't know whether you've read up on the story of uh, Nike Sabande from Miami, Ohio. Yeah, exactly. Where Miami, Ohio, I'm not going to in, get into whether Miami, Ohio was lying or whatnot, but essentially they blocked him from, tra from transferring to Pitt. So for future people, if they decide they want to go somewhere else, nothing's going to stop them. No, no university. If you want to go play instead of uh, Miami, Ohio, you want to go to Notre Dame or whatever the case is, you're free to do so. Yeah, that's a, that's a great recent example of it. And um, yeah, you know, Miami hasn't come out looking too good in that. But but anyway, yeah, I think that that's exactly, I think, the type of situation that this legislation is, is going to help avoid. And, and before we move on to the MAC kind of news with the uh, fall sports operational plan, is there anything you want to touch on from the transfer news? No, I think we just about covered it. Um, you know, it, I, again, this goes into effect in August 1st. This new rule goes into, uh, into effect. So students are going to be able to transfer with no penalty and schools aren't going to be able to block them. I think that about, I think that about sums it up. Yeah, I'm there with you. And with that, we're going to move on to the, the MAC news. So, Zach, if you want to break that down quickly as well. Yeah, so uh, earlier this week, uh, the MAC announced their operational plan for, you know, the other fall sports that are still going to be played in the spring, right? So they postponed all fall sports back in August. And then a couple weeks back, they announced that football was going to be returning in the fall uh, or, you know, in November, as, as we know. So um, this uh, operational plan covers those other fall sports that were moved to the spring and are going to stay in the spring 
for this year. So um, this, uh, this affects uh, volleyball, men's and women's soccer, and then field hockey as well. So basically, this isn't them announcing their schedule, but they're announcing how the seasons are going to go for each one of these sports. So um, in volleyball, they're going to do 22 conference matches in a double round robin format. So you got, you know, 12 teams in the conference, you're going to play the other 11 teams each uh, two times to give you those 22 uh, conference games. That's going to go from January 22nd to March 27th. And then um, the, the thing that they're doing to limit travel, and this is a common theme, but for the volleyball teams, um, they're not going to do home and homes with each team. You're just going to travel and you're going to play your two games against that team uh, on the same weekend at the same place. So, you know, you'll, uh, you'll play a game Saturday and a game Sunday or a game Friday night and a great game Saturday. So it's not going to be balanced in the sense that they're going to get one home game and one away game with each team. It's going to be, you know, two and two kind of in pairs. Um, so they're doing that again, just to, to limit travel. And then there's going to be a four team championship uh, bracket uh, on April 2nd. And then uh, the winner of that will get the automatic invite into the NCAA tournament. Um Men's and women's soccer are going to do something similar in the sense that it's going to be a double round robin format, uh, 10 conference games uh, starting March 4th and going through April 11th. Um, they're going to do the same thing in terms of, um, you know, the, the coordinated travel and stuff like that. Women's games are going to be Thursday and Sunday. Men's games are going to be Wednesday and Sunday. And then uh, they're going to have their championships on April 17th. Uh, at, a, at a campus site, which so that's going to be the team with the best overall conference winning percentage. And then for field hockey, there's going to be 12 conference matches in a double round robin format. So same deal there. Uh, they're going to be starting March 12th and going through April 24th. And uh, they're going to be playing their games on Fridays and Saturdays. So again, they're really just rolling out kind of the framework for what the schedule is going to look like for these sports. No schedules have been announced just yet. I would imagine that'll probably be coming here in the next month or two. And, um, you know, the, the goal here was to get them a full season and make sure that they're eligible for the NCAA tournament. So a lot of these sports here, um, you know, they're, they're, the, the NCAA championships are still going to be held in the spring. So they put these into place with that in mind. Yeah. And, and Zach, I like, I appreciate the Mac letting us know what's going to happen with these postponed sports. Well, what kind of frustrates me is they're, I think they're lacking something. And the fact that when I look at Akron's Canada schedule for basketball, they will be starting a ga actual games on January 2nd when the earliest thing for these fall sports is January 22nd. So wouldn't you want to release the schedule and plan for something that's coming out earlier then the fall sports that got pushed back to spring. What does doesn't that make make more sense? I hear yeah, I hear what you're saying. I think I think maybe the only difference there is that when it comes to basketball, I think the Mac is just rolling with what the NCAA is going to do. The NCAA, like the NCAA said, they're starting you know November 25th, and that you know practices were going to start this week. It is weird to me that the Mac hasn't announced any type of schedule just yet. Um, but I think when it comes to like the framework like this, um, you know, I think they're just kind of rolling with what the NCAA is going to do, but I hear what you're saying. I, there, it seems like the Mac has been kind of delaying in a lot of these things. They were the last to come out with a football schedule. They still haven't come out with a basketball schedule and some of that stuff. So yeah, I'm not sure what the holdup is there, but I'm, I'm sure that's some stuff that we'll have, you know, here within the next couple of weeks. Yeah. And I'm not saying it's bad to have a plan in place for spring. I'm just saying like, when when ba when basketball practices are supposed to start next week, why aren't we having a plan? I know the NCAA released a plan, but I want to know the Max plan because 
I bet the max plane is different than uh, in volleyball than everybody else's. It may be it may be under the same guidelines, but it's probably a lot different than others. Women's soccer is probably different. Men's soccer. Our uh, shout out to our uh, friend of the show, Jared Embrick, for coming on. He's probably happy with the schedule, and then field hockey, of course. But yeah, so back to my point. I ju I just want to know what the max plan for basketball is. I know a couple schools have tentative schedules. Not all of them have schedules yet. So I just want to know what's doing that, as well as other winter sports, if they're having other winter sports. Like, it just seems ridiculous to me. I'm glad we have plans in place for, for the sports that got postponed. But at the same time, I would I would much rather worry about this, the, the sports that are coming up next. Yeah, no, I, I can't disagree with you. I, I hear what you're saying. And I think, uh, yeah, there have been a lot of delays here. Been this, but you know that that's that's been the, the theme of 2020. I think we, we we don't really know what we're getting into. So uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I think I, I I would imagine when it comes to basketball, we'll hear something here in the next couple of weeks. But hey, I could be wrong. I've been wrong many times before. And Zach, I don't know if uh, it's mentioned in the the press release about fans at all, but I have not. I'm looking at it right now. It does not seem to mention uh, yeah. any f fans at all. No, not, nothing. They did not say anything about fans. I think probably the thinking there is, you know, let's, I think it's, you know, taking a wait and see approach. Let's see how things look in January before these uh, sports are set to start up. Um, I, I would be, I would find it, I, I, it would be hard to, to convince me that there will be fans in the stands in the spring. Mm -hmm. You know, I think it would be cool to be able to go to some of these games. I, I don't know if, if things will have changed much uh, by that point though, but I guess we'll see. Yeah. And, and before we move on, to some um, uh, NCAA future champion uh, host bids news. Is there anything you want to touch on? No, no, I think that's it. I think, you know, like I said, we're probably going to be playing the wait and see game here over the next couple of weeks to, to wait to see some schedules get released. Um, but as far as that story goes, no, I think uh, I think we we just about hit on it. Yeah, and, and I'm definitely excited for sports to return back. Uh, hopefully nothing gets canceled in the future. It looks like, as Zach mentioned, you can listen through all the breakdown. If you need to repeat it, look for a different sport or whatnot, you can repeat what he, uh, he just mentioned a couple times to listen for your sport. But yeah, with that being said, we're going to move on to some um, Mac actually being rewarded some uh, NCAA championship host bids. So Zach, as we did with the previous two uh, news segments, uh, do you want to break this down as well? Yeah, for sure. So the, the MAC was awarded host bids to uh, a couple of different NCAA uh, championship events here over the next few years. So definitely exciting stuff here for uh, for the conference and for, and for the city of, of Cleveland. So this is a joint bid that the MAC made with uh, the Greater Cleveland Sports Commission. Uh, so they were awarded uh, the bid to host the NCAA men's basketball first and second round in, two, in 2025. Uh, the NCAA Division I Wrestling Championships in 2026, and also the NCAA Division I Bowling Championship in 2026. So the uh, the men's basketball and then the, the wrestling championships, those are both going to be at uh, Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse there in Cleveland, which I'm sure most of our fans know is uh, the, the arena where the Cavs play. And then the women's bowling championship is going to take place uh, at a, a bowling facility, the, the Roll House Wycliffe in Wycliffe, Ohio. So I think um, obviously the big news there is, is that, you know, the basketball and the wrestling. Um, I think that not to, you know, not to dismiss bowling, that's obviously important too. But uh, I think, you know, basketball and wrestling, especially in the Midwest with wrestling, I mean, huge fan base in the area. I think those are going to be two events that are going to be really, really well attended there in, in Cleveland. 
And uh, it's an exciting thing that the Mac is able to, to be a part of that. And you know, obviously being headquartered in Cleveland, it makes a lot of sense. Um, but I don't know about you, Sam. I don't know if you've ever been to an NCAA tournament basketball game, but those, uh, those environments are, are pretty electric. And I think that would, be a, that would be a cool event to go see there in Cleveland in 2025. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, the closest thing I've been to is a Big Ten tournament when they used to host it every year down in Banker's Life. Never yeah. been to an NCAA tournament um, game, but I definitely would love to. It says it 2025, so maybe in um, five years we'll have to go to it. Uh, I think my schedule is clear right now, as of right <laughs> now for it. So who, who knows, in five years we may be going to that. But Zach, I have a question. As a, as a person who's been uh, who, who you've been following, uh, the Mac a lot more, uh, than I have. Why, why does, why is the Mac kind of sharing in this when it's really the rocket mortgage field house that hosts it? And it's really the Cavs kind of hosting it. So like, I, I understand the Mac has their Mac championship in there and their, 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 uh, headquarters are in Cleveland, but why yeah. is, why is the Mac kind of claiming this for them? If that makes sense. Sure. So, um, I don't know. I, so I know the answer to this question. I don't know the why behind it though, but, but if you notice anytime you watch an NCAA tournament basketball game uh, on television, every game, whether it's the first round or the final four, every game there, there's a, the, the host city, there's a, there's a university usually in the area that were acts as a host uh, for the event. So like, for example, whenever they have um, games here at PPG paints arena in Pittsburgh, typically Pitt is the host or Duquesne is the host or Robert Morris is the host. So like a, a local university or, you know, um, collegiate athletic league will host those events. So I'm, I'm assuming that, um, you know, the NCAA was looking for a local host and Mac, or, you know, the Mac has their headquarters, the league headquarters there in downtown Cleveland. And so it probably that partnership just made sense. Okay. That, that makes a lot more sense. I was just curious because it's not technically the Max like arena. Right. Too. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know why the NCAA does that, but as long as I've been watching, I always, I, that's, that's always the way they've done it. I'm not sure why. Okay, and, and hopefully that answered if you had that question as well. Just a thought that popped in my head. But with that, Zach, we, we've covered the NCAA pro proposal with transfers, allowing them immediate eligibility. The MAC uh, announcing their other fall sports that got postponed to Springs plan. We got the MAC uh, being awarded some NCAA championship host bids. And, uh, and as we mentioned, we can't do the Twitter question, unfortunately, so we're going to have to scratch that for this week. We're going to push it off to next week. We're going to combine it with the Twitter question, whatever we come up with this week. But, yeah, Zach, is there any final thoughts you have on those kind of three general news segments? No, I don't think so. I think we covered it. Uh, a lot of good stuff this week. And, um, you know, I, I, uh, the, I think the, the transfer role is something that a lot of people have been expecting and waiting for. Uh, and then, you know, the, obviously the championships and the operational plan for the fall sports in the spring, big news stories as well. So we're kind of in wait and see mode now when it comes to the, you know, rest of winter sports and, and those other fall sports waiting for those schedules to get announced. And I'm sure that's something we'll be talking about here in the next couple of weeks. Yeah. And I didn't think sitting here on October 15th that we'd get as big news as we did this past week. We got the NCAA yeah. proposal, which looks to, would looks, looks to transform the future of college for the next however many years. And then we've also got the, the Mac announcing their plans for the future, which I think we can both agree that the Mac has not exactly been fast with their plans of action. So yeah. sitting here on October 15th, I was kind of shocked as like they released some actual plans. Yeah, 
I'm, I'm with you. So yeah, it's going to be interesting to see uh, over the next couple of weeks what more information they give us and what they come out with. And uh, we'll just have to wait and see. And with that being said, when you're watching these uh, fall sports that got postponed to winter, why not have a t-shirt to support your favorite team? Homefield Apparel, the premier direct-to-consumer, uh, direct-to-customer clothier for college sports fans, and Hustlebelt have partnered for an exclusive line of t-shirts. Pick up Tuesday night or Jolly Blogger shirt on your homefieldapparel.com now, and you can save 20% off your entire first purchase using promo code HUSTLE. Every shirt you buy helps us out at the blog, and you'll feel good too, thanks to Homefield's exclusive 52% cotton, 48% polyester blend. Rep the best little blog in the Midwest today by going to homefieldapparel.com and using promo code HUSTLE today. Welcome back to another segment of the Mid-American Bandwagon Podcast. Joined, as always, with Zach. How are you doing today, Zach? I'm good, man. It's uh, Thursday. Excited to talk some MAC football. Yeah, no doubt. And again, we're continuing our MAC previews around. We've already done Bowling Green. We've already done Central Michigan. Shout out to the two journalists that joined us last time. Now we're talking Eastern Michigan football with our very own Hustle Belt Eastern Michigan guru, Zach. Zach, how are you doing? Oh, pretty good. Glad to be on the show with you guys. Awesome. No doubt. We, we appreciate you taking your time out to us. So we just want to kick it off, talk some EMU football. Towards the uh, last question I'll ask you is about winter sports, but for the most part, it's going to be strictly football related because football is just right around the corner. Three weeks away, I believe 20 or so days right now. So we want to just kick it, kick it straight off with What's the feeling around campus and around Ypsilanti right now? How do the people feel about the program? EMU traditionally doesn't have a huge fan base, but things seem to be really pointing up under Chris Creighton. Have, have expectations been raised? Well, yeah, the expectations over the last few years, you know, you're looking at three bowl games in four years, which was unheard of uh, previously. You know, so the expectations have really been raised. Uh, you know, you're starting to get more more fan support uh, from the students and everything. So really from that aspect, this pandemic has really hit at the wrong time. Uh, I think back to the Quick Lane Bowl uh, last December, and it was like a coronation of all the hard work of the program, like the whole community came out and it was something which being from EMU and Ypsilanti, it's not really something you see too often. Um, so that was kind of like a great momentum builder. And then this whole coronavirus pandemic stuff, just, you know, all these problems. Um, but the, the feeling right now is, you know, I think everyone was just kind of optimistic. Uh, you know, it's definitely going to be a lot different without the tailgates, without the, the fans in the stands that limits, uh, you know, some of the excitement. Um, but, you know, I think everyone's still excited to have, you know, something to watch on, on weeknights and, and to break out the, the green and white clothing and, and uh, you know, support the student athletes. Definitely. So, uh, yeah, it has been really cool to watch Chris uh, Creighton kind of, you know, build this program up over the last seven years. Uh, so, Zach, you know, when I think about Eastern Michigan last year, obviously this was a team offensively that that really threw the ball, you know, or second in the MAC and passing offense. Mike Glass, the third, was, uh, you know, well known for the last couple of years as one of the best quarterbacks around the MAC, probably one of the most underappreciated. But obviously Mike Glass graduated. He's no longer uh, on campus there in Ypsilanti. Uh, you got Preston Hutchinson, who started the Western Michigan game last year and looked good. Uh, is there a sense that, you know, is Preston Hutchinson going to be the guy this year? And, and how, you know, I guess more generally speaking, how's the offense going to replace Mike Glass? 
Well, and one of the things that's interesting about Preston Hutchinson is he actually took the last snap of last season because in a bowl game, Mike Glass was ejected for the contact with the official. That's um, right, but, yeah. Yeah, but uh, he did start against Western, and he actually won the, the Mac West uh, Offensive Player of the Week, you know, honor. So Aaron really took the reins for that game. And I think in general – uh, the, the sense is that this is his chance to shine. I don't really get the sense that, you know, there's any too much worry about him. You know, you saw what he could do against Western Michigan. He's been in the system. Um, he's, you know, what I'd call sneakily mobile. You know, he can escape out of the pocket. He can run with the ball. That was something that Mike was great at. And, uh, you know, you look at, uh, you know, the last four quarterbacks here, Brogan Roback, Tyre Wiegers, and then uh, you had, Mike Glass and now Preston Hutchinson, it's kind of been just plug and play and, you know, kind of keeping it up. So I think the the expectations are pretty, you know, solid for Preston Hutchinson to be able to step in. Is he always going to be as great as he was against Western? Maybe not. But I don't think that this is necessarily a system or, or a moment where we're putting in somebody who's totally unprepared. I think everyone feels pretty confident that we're in good hands. And before we move on to some serious stuff, uh, Zach knows how much I love the Mac or the, the glass uh, ejection last year. And I have to ask you as an Eastern Michigan fan, when you saw him punch basically the ref and the player partially, what was your reaction to that? Considering the, you guys potentially probably would have lost, but considering the stuff that went down in the final seconds, what was your reaction as an Eastern Michigan fan? Well, just I, I actually had great seats for that game, first row, right behind the bench, and just kind of watching it, you know, like there's so much going on. You're trying to see what happened, and then you see them kind of sort it out, and I'm like, you know, you just couldn't believe it, like our quarterback's been ejected. Um, but, you know, I, I had had classes with Mike. I had met Mike on several occasions, and I just, you know, I that's just totally out of character, you know, for him. So, you know, it was disappointing to see his career end that way. Um, it would have taken a remarkable drive to come back and win that ball game. Uh, you know, prior, you know, I would have felt better with him in there instead of having a quarterback coming in cold off the bench. But it was just kind of this crazy thing, this crazy feeling. You know, it just kind of, I mean, I guess in a way it kind of was, a, you know, like a, a sense of what's to come with all this crazy stuff that happened in 2020. Great. Yeah, it's a great point. Great point. Uh, so sticking with the offense, Zach, um, so obviously Mike Glass is gone uh, after that uh, sacrimonious exit. And then also offensive coordinator Aaron Keene left, obviously, to take a Division II head coaching job this year. So Chris Creighton takes over the play calling duties. How much, if any, is this going to change things on offense? You know, has, has Creighton ever called plays before? He had, to my knowledge, but I didn't know if maybe uh, you had some information that I didn't have. And so just generally speaking, how, you know, how do you see that changing things for the offense? Well, I don't think it'll change too much, you know, because I think the head coach always has a lot of say in the offense. And when you look at Coach Creighton, he was a former, you know, college quarterback at uh, Wabash, I believe. And, you know, he's been, uh, you know, he, he at, at Drake and then coming up the ladder, he's held some offensive positions. So, you know, I, I'm sure he's always had his hand in it, you know, and, and uh, I don't think there'll be much change at all. You know, you're still going to see a lot of the same principles. Um, you know, and I, I think he's got a, a decent amount to work with here. Um, you know, so I, I think it's going to be more business as usual. I don't think you're going to see a, a big change. Um, you know, I think this is, it may actually sometimes I think be better because you just have, you know, that one voice where instead of trying to maybe placate somebody else, you just now have that one consistent voice. 
And kind of shifting over to the other side of the ball, we talked about the offense a, a bunch. How does the defense look right now? Really struggled against the run last year, 229 yards per game in the MAC games, 10th in the league. Can we expect improvement there from last year? Well, you know, it's one of those things where you'd like to see them, uh, you know, you would have liked to have seen a spring game. You would have liked to have seen, you know, a, a training camp or, or, you know, be up close and kind of see some things. You know, they do lose some talent. Uh, Kobe Beltran was a excellent middle linebacker for them. Kevin McGill, he went to the NFL. He was in training camp. Vince Calhoun, you know, Eastern Michigan record for games started. Um, you know, so you lose those guys, you're going to lose something. So it's a little bit of a young bunch. But, you know, they got some guys there. Uh, Mikey Hammy, uh, Haney, he can really get after the quarterback. You know, the unit as a whole didn't really show it, but they have some guys there. Uh, Teron Rush is another guy. Um, Terry Myrick, you know, he's a guy who really had a great offseason, uh, judging by, like, the, the workout videos and all that. Um, and Freddie McGee, somebody in the, the preseason kind of, you know, write-up I did, he's somebody who I think could take that kind of the torch and take the next step for the Eastern Michigan defensive backs and kind of be an all-Mac kind of guy. Uh, like you saw from Calhoun and like you saw from McGill. So there's some talent there. Um, you know, I really like the defensive coordinator there. He's had some moments, you know, Max Crosby came up through here, you know, so, you know, they can coach him up, um, you know, and it'll be interesting to see how they do in a six game season, but definitely last year was not what was expected, you know, weak pass rush on the run defense, but also this year, you're not going against Kevin Marks. You're not going against uh, Levante Bellamy. You're not going against Jared Patterson or any of those guys. So that alone may help. Yeah. I think that's a, that's certainly a good point there, Zach. Not seeing some of those backs uh, sh should help out a little bit. Um, I, I do have one more question about the offense before we completely move on is just curious if you could talk a little bit about the current situation at running back, uh, you know, Shaq Van graduated. It seemed like he was there for, you know, a hundred years, but he's, He's moved on. And then I think everyone kind of expected Willie Parker to be the starter this year. And then he decided to opt out of the season. So who can we expect to see in the backfield this year as, you know, the main ball carriers? Yeah, it's going to be interesting. You know, Willie Parker, I think a lot of people thought he's a, you know, a kind of a fast guy. He thought he was going to kind of step up and take that role, but um, you know, it's going to be, I'm thinking a running back by committee. Again, this would have been something that would have been good to see in kind of the spring practices, a spring game, something like that. But, you know, there's some guys there. Uh, DJ Smith was a highly regarded freshman this year. Darius Boone was a highly regarded freshman last year out of Oklahoma. Um, you know, Mackey, uh, he's, he's a guy who got some carries last year, real limited carries, but he can, uh, you know, we've heard good things about him. Samson Evans, that's a name to keep an eye on. Um, I haven't heard if he's eligible. He's a transfer from Iowa, but I've heard from people within the program, you know, and some of the videos they put on social media, kind of the highlight reels, He's a guy that kind of seems to keep showing up. So if he's eligible, and I know a lot of those eligibility waivers have been granted this year, I don't know about him, but he's a guy who could play a role there too. Also, Jarius Grissom, he came into the program as a quarterback out of River Rouge. Um, you know, they it just didn't work out. He didn't have the accuracy or whatever it was, so they moved into kind of a slash role. Technically, he's a wide receiver, but he was one of their leading rushers last year as kind of that Cordell Stewart playmaking type player so he's a guy that i'd expect to maybe wildcat it up or, or even get some carries um and moving back to the chris creighton talking 
Uh, I think the, these listeners and Zach knows how much, I wouldn't say I'm a hater of Chris Creighton. I'm just not as big of a believer in Chris Creighton. And I think for the simple fact is his performance in the Mac West, especially coming from a Ball State student who's watched the Mac West for a couple of years now. And we've, and this season's especially going to be conference oriented with the conference only schedule, the five plus one schedule. So I want to ask you from your perspective, why hasn't, Chris Creighton been able to deliver against the Mac West. We've seen the we've seen the Power Five upsets, but when it comes to Mac West, I believe his top his top result in the Mac West was second in 2018, I believe, uh, for the Mac West. So why hasn't Chris Creighton, in your opinion, been able to get it done against the Mac West, whereas non-conference opponents he's kind of done better against? Well, I'm I'm a big Chris Creighton fan, and I think uh, the the thing that a lot of people don't understand is just how bad things were in Ypsilanti before he got there. You know, the, the program was in the shadows of U of M and just, there was no pride in the program, no culture. He's come in, he's established a culture and uh, you know, really, I mean, he's a revered guy around campus and all that. Now, um, as far as doing better in the Mac West, you know, there's only one team a year that can come out of that, out of that uh, division, you know, and play for the Mac title. And, you know, you look at what McElwain did last year at Central Michigan, you know, they had to go head to head with PJ Fleck some of those years. Toledo is always Toledo, Northern Illinois, you know, so there's some good schools there. Um, You know, it's been a program that's been bit by the close losses. And, uh, you know, I think it's just something where, you know, you're at that point now where as an Eastern guy, the expectation maybe after this year is no longer, okay, we got to a bowl game. That's good enough. You know, you're starting to get to that point. And I'm sure coach Creighton would agree where you would, you know, where you're expecting to beat rivals. You're expecting to beat the Westerns, the centrals, the Toledos, you're expected to play, you know, to get to that Mac championship game, but it's hard to do, you know, to get to that Mac championship for Mac school, unless you're that random, you know, NIU team or the Western Michigan team, that's like your Super Bowl and everyone's gunning for that. So, you know, I think they've come a long way with strength and conditioning, facilities, recruiting, town pride, all that. And I think that next step uh, is hopefully coming, but it's it's not an easy step. You know, none of these steps in this process have been easy. And you talk about Eastern Michigan being the factory and the blue collar mentality, and that's what you're seeing. You know, they're still working, and, uh, you know, the, the work obviously isn't done. Zach, I'm curious – my question is kind of a follow-up to Sam's question because I, I remember what, you know, I followed the Mac for, for quite some time now. And I remember what Eastern Michigan was like before Chris Creighton was hired seven years ago. Do you, as someone that's an alum, that's close to the program, could you maybe talk a little bit more, I guess, first of all, what grade would you give Chris Creighton on his job overall that he's done at Eastern Michigan so far, considering where the program was when he started? And also, could you maybe expand a little bit on that, you know, for our listeners that might maybe haven't as followed for quite as long, just talk a little bit about the place the program was in before Chris Creighton was there and really how bad things were. Yeah. Um, well, as far as a grade for coach Creighton, I think, you know, I'll, I'll go with a B, you know, I'd love to go higher. I think, you know, very highly of the guy, but you know, until you get that championship or what we call a Michigan Mac trophy, where you beat Western and you beat central, then I think you got to kind of keep it at a B. Um, but, you know, I mean, before he got there, the program didn't really have an identity. Its identity was it's losing culture. You know, you had a situation 
um, you know, where they had one six and six season and you thought the world was ending. That was, you know, an incredible season for them. And they couldn't go bowling because they played two FCS schools. Uh, you know, you had um, faculty members complaining about the budget, you know, saying, oh, it's it's not worth being a D1. That actually continued during Creighton's time. You had players consistently getting into trouble, um, you know, uh, in you know, fairly significant trouble, you know, at some point. So, you know, for him to come in, you know, you saw new facilities, you saw a changing of the culture. This is a head coach who doesn't allow his players to swear at practice. You know, the culture has been established, the culture of hard work, you know, they carry the, the wrench on the sidelines. Um, it's called the factory, the great turf, blue collar, you know, it's, it's a hardworking program. So they changed all those things around changing a culture takes time and I think you're starting to see it pay off you know they're just a very disciplined team typically at sometimes last year they got away from that but the program has come just leaps and bounds it's you know if you talk to some of the people you know they had a run in the 80s um, but the 90s were not good but also you know you look at you had Charlie Batch back then well, now every year, Eastern Michigan is landing guys in NFL training camps. You know, you have Max Crosby, you have Andrew Wiley. Those guys are NFL starters. Pat O'Connor is playing on special teams for the Buccaneers. Darius Jackson is with the Indianapolis Colts. So you have guys like that who before, you know, you, you didn't see NFL players coming out of Ypsilanti, Michigan. Now you're getting that. You're getting scouts coming in all the time to kind of scout the program and all that. So you're starting to see kind of that changing of the guard and improvement which you didn't see before okay and and i'm going to circle back to this season so as an eastern michigan alum as an eastern uh, michigan fan what do you what do you make of the the um, schedule eastern michigan has Lana with the kent state plus their five other mac west opponents and what what's your prediction for the record uh, eastern michigan's going to get well, it's, it's tough to say, you know, they did, uh, they didn't have any favors done to them on that schedule. I think everyone knows central is going to be good. I think Western's going to be better. Um, you know, and, and, you know, ball state, I think, you know, is going to be more improved just because of another year. Um, you know, Kent state went to a bowl game last year and they're going to be right there. You know, I would say you're looking at, I mean, this team has got some holes, you know, it, this was probably going to be a year away and without seeing a spring game and then without kind of knowing how they're going to do this free year of eligibility, are they going to run some young guys out there? I would say that, you know, three and three, you know, four and two would be kind of what I would expect. Um, you know, and, and that would probably going to have some close games, which you need to win. But, uh, you know, you hear Coach Creighton, he talks about this is not a marathon this year. You know, usually it's a marathon this year. It's a sprint. So you got to get off to a fast start and you can't have any duds. And uh, we'll see. But I think this team has enough talent. You know, you look at the returning talent on the offensive line. You know, you look at uh, the, the skill position players, the specialists. You know, the defense has some guys. I think this is a team that could win three, four games. You know, and, and I, you know, if things go right, they could win more. Yeah, I think that's a reasonable assessment there, Zach. So one last question before we, uh, we let you get out of here. Um, you know, we've talked a lot about football here, but, uh, you know, basketball season and winter sports are only a little bit over a month away. You know, basketball is kicking off at uh, right there before Thanksgiving on November 25th. What's the outlook for Eastern Michigan and, you know, the winter sports uh, calendar this year and specifically the, you know, the basketball program? 
Well, first off, I want to say I think the the girls' basketball program, women's basketball, is going to have a pretty good year. They uh, they've made some great strides. Uh, but the men's team, you know, they had a pretty good offseason. They got in some, uh, you know, transfers coming in. Uh, one from Missouri, Axel Congo. Um, he's, you know, seven foot. Uh, James Love, you know, from Kansas State, he's 6'11". So I think they have, I looked at it the other day, I think seven players over 6'8". And that wow. linked for the zone is really good. Um, you know, our coach Rob Murphy's entering the final year of his contract and the athletic director made some comments that, you know, they're not talking contract extension at this point. So um, we'll see, you know, I think they could with those transfers, you know, anytime you can bring in some veteran guys like that and hopefully not miss a beat, you can, you know, you start thinking maybe they could be a sleeper and do some things that zone is always tough. And they also have some guys, Thomas Benelli, who can shoot the ball from the outside. Um, expectations have been pretty low. But I think some of these guys fit in pretty well where this could be a team that surprises. And, you know, unfortunately, if they, they don't surprise, you know, you're probably looking at a new regime coming in. But historically, you know, Eastern Michigan, they've been, you know, they sweet 16 team back in the 90s. Um, you know, it's been a basketball school. So it'd be uh, nice to see them get back to that. And I think with uh, some of their newcomers, who knows what the season's going to look like at this point. With some of the newcomers, they have a chance to surprise. Yeah, and I remember uh, Eastern Michigan coming to Ball State. It was actually on my birthday, and Eastern Michigan actually leading into halftime before Ball State just had an amazing second half. So, yeah, I expect I expect good things as well from the basketball. But, Zach, let the people know to finish off where they can find you. If you're, Have you posted any articles on Hustle Belt recently, if they can read that in the general stuff? Yeah, um, right now I have, uh, most recently, I have uh, the Eastern Michigan season preview that came up, and then I have the Bowling Green season preview. I'm going to have, like, uh, key storylines to watch coming up soon. I'm at Twitter, at uh, Vanzi, so it's T-H-E-V-A-N-N-Z-E-E. And, uh, you know, happy to give anyone a follow or, you know, whenever to talk uh, Max Sports, so... Yeah, and, and as you said, go go make sure to follow him. Look at all his content. It's really good stuff. I read your Eastern Michigan preview. was really good stuff. But, yeah, Zach, thank you so much for taking your time. Yep, and if you guys are ever up in Ypsilanti, let me know. You know, I'll take you out to Tower Inn, you know, get you some good grub <laughs> or, you know, and uh, show you our like famous, show you our like famous water tower. I'll, I'll, maybe <laughs> have, I'll maybe have to come up next time uh, we can have fans in attendance. There we go. Yeah, maybe a little bit, but yeah, we'll have to get you guys up there. Yeah, no Sounds doubt. Sounds like a plan, man. Thanks Again, for that was, that was Zach. Be sure to check out his stuff. We appreciate him taking us time. And yeah, that's going to wrap it up for this uh, segment right here. And welcome back to another segment of the Mid-American Bandwagon Podcast. I'm Sam Thelman, as usual. Join with me, Zach Foley. Zach, how are you doing? I'm doing good, man. Excited for this next interview. Yeah, and on the other end of this Zoom call, we've got a special guest, our first NIU basketball player and NIU athlete in general, Lacey James. Lacey, how are you doing? Hey, how you doing? I'm, I'm doing good. Uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, no doubt. We appreciate you taking some time. There's a little bit of confusion back and forth between me and more, more on our part between Eastern Standard Time and uh, Central. But we, we just want to jump straight into it, let you um, answer some questions. We'll let you go, and you, you'll get uh, – you can do whatever you want with the rest of your day. Sounds good. 
So we're going to kick it off with, uh, I, I was doing some research and I saw you were a transfer from, from writers. So as we do with uh, any guest, we want to just get your background and how you ended up at the at uh, Northern Illinois. Yeah, so I went to, um, we're coming out of Grand Rapids, Michigan at high school, I went to Rider University. Um, it was in Philadelphia. And uh, we, you know, I, I played there for one year. And then after that, um, I wanted to transfer um, to Northern Illinois and I, Coach Dawkins, Lou Dawkins, who was there at the time. And um, of course, uh, Coach Montgomery, I had a good relationship with them coming out of um, high school and they recruited me early on. And um, so, you know, I explored the option and uh, we got it done. I had to set out a year that was tough, um, the first year of NIU, um, but it was, it was, you know, it was, a, it was a good decision. So Lacey, before we get into your career at Northern Illinois, I wanted to ask you about the transfer process because I'm not sure if you saw the news here uh, in the last couple of days, but they, you know, they approved that new transfer rule where like, you know, kids aren't going to have to sit out a year now whenever they transfer. And even, you know, before that, you know, they, you know, sometimes they give waivers and let them play immediately. There's really no consistency to it. What was your like process, like going through that transfer process? Like, how did you end up on Northern Illinois? What was that whole process like for you? Yeah, I did see, um, to answer your question, I did see the, the news that just came out. My process was a, a lot different. Um, it was kind of like the old school way, if you want to say. My process was if you transfer somewhere, you have to set out a whole year, a whole um, playing year, a whole, a whole playing year. And so I had to set out um, a whole year and I couldn't, um, I couldn't participate in anything. And also I couldn't travel. They had, they had a rule where you couldn't travel to even conference games, um, non-conference games, scrimmage or, or anything like that. So I couldn't play any even scrimmages or anything. So it was a, it was a tough year. And uh, I think they're making it better for um, players or prospects now. But the whole my whole year I had to um, sit out and I couldn't play until um, they, they were done with that season. And then I jumped in, you know, practices and things like that. You know, scout team, of course. Um, to help out the um, the team and stuff like that. But other than that, it was I would say a workout year. Yeah, and and so we we just want to jump straight into it. So like uh, this past season was your last season, and obviously it was probably sad for you to have your final year cut short. So like break us down like what the reaction was like getting NIU to Cleveland for the first time in ages, only to have the MAC tourney canceled earlier this year. Yeah, it was a tough year. Um, you know, it was, it was a very tough year, especially the way it ended. Uh, like you said, the feeling just to get there and be one of the top seeds going in, we had uh, the utmost confidence that we could have, you know, took the tournament. Um, but after finding that news, it was, uh, it was, it was tough because, you know, you put in all that hard work and then at the last minute, somebody's going to just take it away from you and tell you that it's over. So that's probably the toughest thing just to, just to think about and just to try to process is that, you know, you put in all this hard work throughout the season as a team and, uh, you know, you guys are finally clicking at the end and just to have someone tell you that you can't do it, you know, that's the toughest thing. Yeah, I can certainly understand that. So uh, you obviously, so you, you've uh, spent, uh, you know, four years at NIU, including the year you sat out and um, played for, for Coach Montgomery. So this question, I guess, is kind of about like the fan base, right? Because I think when a lot of people think about Northern Illinois, they always think about kind of the football team first. The football team has been so successful over the years now. What's, what's it going to, you know, what 
as far as basketball is concerned, what's Coach Mark Montgomery doing to kind of build the culture there and, you know, get some more fans of the games, get some more, you know, excitement within the fan base? I would say, uh, you know, he's trying to connect um, to the to the fans, to the students there. I would also say that um, the players are doing even more because, you know, when we're in, in our class, when we are walking around campus and things like that, you know, they notice us. And, uh, you know, we, we, we a lot of, I, I couldn't imagine how many people ask me, when's the next game? going to class. So I feel like the um, the players there, um, they're definitely just, the more they interact and the more they go out um, with classes and even to like the grocery store around there, because uh, it's a college campus, you know, it's, it's right on. So, and yeah. uh, you know, I just feel like that, uh, it's a college town, I should say. I just feel like that, um, you know, this, the, the players are connecting even more to the students and it's just a word of mouth. And just, you know, I'm, I'm six nine, so they, they definitely, <laughs> They definitely, uh, I stand out. So it's just the word of mouth when you walk around and and you get more of them to come out just by the, your presence and the word of mouth. Sure. And uh, I've luckily got to watch you in person when you guys came uh, to uh, Worthen Arena in Muncie. For those who maybe didn't get to watch you play, how would you describe your style of play? Uh, I, I would say just the all-around uh, both ends, defense and offensive end uh, player. You know, no, I, I no weaknesses. You know, I can dribble, I can shoot. The two, I can shoot the mid. I can shoot the mid range. I can shoot the three. Uh, definitely go inside. You know, give you um, a post up, and then defensively, you know, we can switch on a ball screen. Um, I can play your big down low. So just an all around player um, in that regard. So you mentioned uh, you mentioned kind of you know your defensive game. Who who in your you know your three years playing in Northern Illinois? Who, who is the toughest player that you think about, like a tough, tough matchup, someone tough to guard in the conference? And also, what was like the toughest arena to go play in? That's a good question. Um, probably the toughest arena uh, that we had to play in, uh, I would probably have to say Toledo. You know, you know Toledo would always be tough, and uh, they always have their fans and, and all those guys um, on their side and everything like that. And they always have a good crowd. Um, I couldn't give you a tough matchup off the head, you know, there's a lot of guys, you know, everybody's different, you know, from their aspect from, you know, Eastern Michigan zone to, um, you know, Central Michigan, they just run and gun yeah. um, transition wise. So I, I want to give you a, it was just every, every game was so different. I couldn't give you a Pacific one. The league, the league when I was playing was a lot, was really tough. And, you know, they had a lot of good guys, um, great talent. And so I, I would just say it was just every night, it was something new that you had to get ready for. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I want to give you a specific one. So you mentioned your ability to stretch the floor a little bit. And I, and I was researching you a little bit and I saw your stats. You didn't start shooting three pointers. So the like 2018, 2019 in this past season. So did you are, were you already able to shoot the three ball or did the coaching staff, it was, was the coaching staff able to develop a three point and kind of mid range game out of you? No, I, I always been able to shoot the three. Uh, definitely in high school, I shot it a lot, um, but no, I, I was just, it was just when I got the opportunity to, to present it and, you know, when, as, as the years went on, you know, it just, um, you know, the plays were different and things like that. So I would just say, as this time went on, just whenever the opportunity presented itself, um, I, I would take it. What do you think uh, the outlook for, for the Huskies this year? I mean, obviously you're graduated. Uh, Eugene German graduated. You guys are the top two scorers this past season. So what do you see for the Huskies this year? How do you think you, they'll be able to replace you guys? You know, they, uh, I think they, I think they'll, it'll be tough um, just from the year from outside of basketball. 
But then also, yeah. I would say, you know, I know Trendon, he's a Trendon Hankerson and um, Zaire. Those are the two front court guys. I probably handle the ball a lot. Um, they got the most experience. And, uh, you know, I think down low for the for the bigs, um, they'll be young, but I know they I know they work hard and uh, they'll the coaching staff will have a good great game plan for them. I think, you know, it'll be tough like any year, but I think uh, they, they should come on come off on top just because of the energy and uh, and how that that coaching staff, you know, relies on defense so much. And, you know, when the team buys in on defense, I, I feel like. You know, they can beat any team. So I feel like just from their energy standpoint and uh, those two guys in the front court, um, I feel like that, then they'll, uh, they'll, they'll, you know, take care of business. Solid. And I, this is kind of a two-parter. So looking back over your three years playing at NIU, what was your favorite moment? And then now that your eligibility is over, what can the Husky fans kind of look out for you, like, for? Yeah, answer the question. My, my favorite moment was – the first year we went to Cleveland, my junior year, you know, we went to Cleveland and uh, we beat Toledo. A lot of people didn't have us beating Toledo and we beat Toledo in Cleveland. It was a great feeling, just a great moment just to be there uh, playing that, playing that arena and playing that um, atmosphere. Um, right now, you know, it's, it's tough right now, but uh, you know, I, I, a lot of things are going good. I can't say too much, um, but you know, a lot of things are going good and uh, you just have to wait to see in a couple months from, sign the contract and everything. Yeah, cool. So uh, this question, not, nothing basketball related, but um, we, we always got to ask our guests when we have them on here. So if, if Sam and I, if we ever make it to DeKalb for a basketball game or a football game or something, what's what's the go-to spot to go get some food? Like where, where, where's your go-to spot? <laughs> uh, that's, uh, are you guys like uh, burger guys? Yeah. I could, I, could, I could crush a burger for sure. Okay, I, I would say, if you if yeah, I would say Culver's, if you're a burger guy, there's a Culver's there. Okay. Um, but if if you're not a burger guy, like you know, if you want something different, uh, I always I, I went to Panda Express a lot. Okay. I went to Panda Express. I love Panda. Just, yeah, yeah, it's just it's something different, you know, from from a Culver's burger. So you got you got both options. Good and stuff. and like uh, so I'm I'm just wondering I I'm not really close with the NIU program like that. So what is Coach M Mark Montgomery like? You obviously mentioned he recruited you out of high school. That's one of the reasons you transfer him. So is he like a players coach? Kind of like describe to us what Coach Mc Montgomery's like. Yeah, he's a um, he's he's a great minded coach. You know, he's he's just a basketball um, a basketball junkie. Uh, he he harps on defense. And, uh, you know, if you get the job on defensive, if you get the job defensively done, then, um, you know, you've you done, you done, you done what he wants you to do. So I would just say he's just, he just a tough guy, you know, a tough guy that will push you to be your best um, on the basketball court. Last question for me, Lacey. I know you grew up in Michigan, obviously went to, to school in Illinois. So are you, a, are you a Pistons fan, a Bulls fan? Like who's your, who's your NBA team? I'm just I'm just a basketball junkie. I'm not I'm not, I'm not I don't I never as growing up, you know, I always just love just watching any game I could watch. And you know, I never found a Pacific game, uh, Pacific player or anything like that. So I just I was just a basketball junkie. Whatever game was on, I, I would watch. Good answer. Sure. Okay. Uh, I've, I've got actually two. They're they're unrelated before I uh, before we let you go again. We thank you for your time. 
one uh like simply what was your what was did you have any game day traditions uh, game <clears throat> excuse me game day tradition i just kind of uh before the game probably a couple hours before the game you know i would try to just um get to a uh, area by myself and just basically you know realize what um what all the work i put in and then also like realize where we're at um so i kind of it was just my well my only tradition was just get somewhere where you can focus your mind and get your mind off um, everything else that was happening and just focus on uh, looking at every aspect of things. And, and so I, I would, I would say that. Yeah. Okay. And my last question, uh, Zach, Zach, do you have any more after this or? Um, no, I'm good. Okay. So, so this is a little bit more uh, fun. Um, it's nothing on you personally. It's just like a, a gripe I have with the NIU last season. So if you don't mm -hmm. know, you guys tied with us, with the same record and we got the higher seed, but we beat you guys twice. And we still, I, I still, I still don't know how we, but like no offense to you guys, you guys were an excellent basketball team, but how, how did we get co-West divisional titles? Because we had, we had a great, cause we had a great year. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just had to ask because like, you, yeah, I, I, Northern I had a great year. I, I'm not. I'm not discounting your year no, by yeah. any means. No, like, no, top... no, yeah, no. I, I, I get where you're coming from. Um, no, I, I, we, I, we had a great year, and uh, if we would have, if, if, on a side note, if we would have met you guys in the tournament, we definitely would have. We definitely would have. <laughs> oh, that, that's some fighting words. <laughs> right I like there. it. I like it. I like yeah. it. Well, I think that'll wrap it up for uh, Lacey. Lacey, we, we appreciate that. We appreciate you taking your time out. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, Thanks, no problem. Lacey. Yeah, no problem. Again, that was Lacey James, former NIU basketball star. Hopefully we can have you on sometime, potentially if NIU has another deep run. We'd love to have you on short, sweet. Yeah, thank you so much. That was good. Thank you. Hey there, everyone, and welcome back to the Mid-American Band, uh, Mid-American Bandwagon podcast. Little different of a voice this time around. I'm James. Uh, we will be talking to Steve Helwick, who is a Hustlefelt contributor for us and a senior editor as well. I am in on the call this time around since the boys were not able to find a time that worked out. They've had plenty of interviews this week, and goodness me, as the showrunner on this show, it's been uh, quite a journey trying to get everybody uh, logged in for interviews. But believe me, we've got some great ones lined up like this one right here. You want to take a moment to introduce yourself, Steve? Hello, I'm Steve Helwick. I've been a writer with Hustle Belt since the 2016 season, so this will be my fifth football season covering the MAC for them. And God. I have a particular team I cover with the MAC, but I'm—I'd say I'm pretty well-rounded in the conference in general. Yeah. So for everyone who doesn't remember Steve, he's been here for five years. God, I've been here forever. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, Steve came on to the blog in 2016 which happened to be the year that western michigan went to the cotton bowl and sure enough steve being a native texan was the guy who covered it for us that year live on location first football game i ever covered it was all downhill from jerry jones's <laughs> yeah the, the, la the last football game you covered uh correct me if i'm wrong i'm pretty sure in person was the new mexico bowl between uh central and san diego state right no, I've actually covered two bowl games in the days after that. I went to five bowl games last year. I covered the New Mexico Bowl with Central Michigan in it, 
Then I covered Memphis in the Cotton Bowl for SB Nation's Underdog Dynasty. They played Penn State in that game. And then two days after that, I went to the First Responder Bowl and covered the Western Michigan Broncos against the WKU Hilltoppers in a completely mindless game that was really fun till the final whistle. Goodness, I was trying to go with the joke there. Yeah, it's certainly all downhill from there. If you know, you're know you bookending your career with the Cotton Bowl and then whatever the hell the New Mexico Bowl was. But I will also gladly take a Western Michigan loss, being a Chippewa, <laughs> as the last game that you covered there. Which, by the way, weird game. I remember, I remember where I was when I was watching that game. We had just gotten back from this awesome deli in town. I was like, oh, you know, trying out some really cool hot dogs and sandwiches. And we sit down just in time because I think it was, yeah, just in time to see what happened with the last little bit of that game there with the field goal and like all the penalties there. Do you, do you Actually, let's start here for a 2020 season preview. What happened at the end of that 2009, uh, that, that bowl game and kind of, you know, how it ended the 2019 season? So Western Michigan looked really good in the second half against Western Kentucky in the Battle of Westerns in the first responder bowl. And it looked like they were finally going to get their first bowl win since winning the Bahamas Bowl in 2014. And then at the end, just disaster struck. They gave up a WKU, uh, I think it was a field goal, to tie the game. They were up up 7 points, 17 to 10. They gave up a touchdown, tie game. Western Michigan gets, gets a field goal. Then WKU gets a field goal with, I'd say, about two minutes left, maybe a little under two minutes. And Western Michigan drives right down the field. I just remember John Wasink just completing screen pass after screen pass. He was hitting Keith Mixon. He was hitting Gio Ricci. And then it got to a third and one. And they were on WKU's 28-yard line. And on that play, John Wasink, it was a it was a zone read, I believe. And he had a wide open running lane. Extremely wide open running lane. And Wasink just slipped. Same thing happened to Kansas State against TCU Saturday, uh, where he had an open running lane and he just slipped. And if he gets that first down, Western Michigan probably gains like at least 15 yards on that play, and they're set up for an easy field goal to win the game. Even though it was very windy, I can attest to the windy conditions that day, and Western Michigan's field goal kicking was atrocious last year. So after Wasink slipped, Tim Lester decided to go for fourth and short, and they missed it. I think it was fourth and three, Wasink threw was an incompletion. End of the game, WKU gets down the field to about the 40-ish yard line in a couple seconds. On the final play, I'm sitting right next to it in the end zone. Western Michigan, uh, Western Kentucky throws a Hail Mary. It's batted down by Western Michigan. Ball game. And then there's pause on the field. There's some confusion. No one knows what's going on. And it turns out that there was a 12 men on the field penalty on Western Michigan because WKU caught them off guard by just putting on the passing team, then subbing off for the kick team. And there were so many players on the field and happened to be 12 Broncos on the field when they snapped it. And then Corey Munson, WKU's kicker, steps up to the plate with the wind going his way and sinks a career-long 52-yarder. And it's just a look of shock on Western Michigan's faces. Uh, It just came to an abrupt end. I remember tweeting from the Hustle Belt account, for the first time this bowl season, we have gone to overtime. And that was an instant old takes exposed. And 
the press conference was a disaster afterwards with Western Michigan because nobody really knew what happened. It wasn't enough time to process it. But WKU got the thrilling bowl victory and another heartbreaker for the Broncos. So overall, like in terms of last season, like, you know, was the bowl kind of indicative of like a lack of discipline perhaps? Because Western has had expectations more or less over the last couple of seasons to be Mac contenders. And they've kind of found ways in a way to get themselves out of division races. Or do you think that that was just kind of a like strange one-off instance? Oh, I think that was definitely true. Western Michigan had so much senior talent last year. They had John Wasink, a three-year starting quarterback, who's finally healthy. And Wasink was a pretty good quarterback. Uh, wasn't exactly Zach Terrell, but uh, he was a very capable starter in the MAC. Levante Bellamy, the off- MAC Offensive Player of the Year. And then they just had a talented receiving core with Sky Moore, Keith Mixon. There were a lot of guys that Western Michigan had. Treshawn Hayward step up on defense. You have Luke Jeriga, an all, a first-team All-Mac center, one of the best linemen in the MAC, and just some other pieces on defense that were pretty good. But yeah, like Drake Spears. But the problem was Western Michigan lost so many games that it should have won. Like at the end of the season, they seemed like the team that was going to win the MAC West, not Central Michigan, and they lose a midweek game to. A, North, a hapless Northern Illinois offense. They lose it like 17 to 14 or something like that. And it was just a lack of, I'd say just lack of execution. The talent's clearly there. And Levante Bellamy was almost unstoppable last year outside of the WKU game. I think it was just a lack of execution on Western Michigan's part. I mean, they did have a below average passing defense, a below average running defense. But I think that the team definitely missed some opportunities in the past couple years to build on that cotton bowl season in the Tim Lester era. Yeah. uh, Before we move on to, you know, looking forward into the 2020 season, just in case, you know, Western fans are listening and they hear this Chippewa say, you know, well, you know, lack of discipline, you know, you think there's an indicative or anything. I think it was the right call to go for it on fourth down in that situation, you know, with the wind going against you field goal unit, not sure what they're going to be able to do. It's just, you know, that was a bad break for them. And I think ultimately it was just indicative of, well, you know, that's just kind of how this season's gone. And, you know, but uh, moving on to 2020. So could we go through some of the departures? Uh, the really big ones I know for certain are Levante Bellamy. He is now on the active roster for the Denver Broncos. Uh, Gio Ricci, uh, last I checked, he was with the Panthers practice squad, uh, Luke Juriga? Juriga? Juriga is how I've always said it, but... Uh, Juriga is with the Philadelphia Eagles. I I remember those three at the very least. Uh, What are some other notable departures from Western's team that we should note here? Justin Tranquil was third in in tackles last year on the team. He was a part of a starter on that Western Michigan Cotton Bowl team, and he he was there forever as one of the team's leaders at the safety position. So Justin Tranquil is a departure that's notable. Another one is outside linebacker Drake Spears. I thought he was a really good coverage linebacker. Had two interceptions last year and a pick six. And he was second on the team in tackles. So those will be some big losses that Western Michigan loses. And also, I thought he was had kind of a breakout season uh, in 2018 was linebacker Alex Grace, who also graduated from Western Michigan. So 
I think uh, a lot of the defensive departures are going to hurt this team too, and they're just going to need some of the younger guys to step up in those places. All right, now, uh, speaking of some youngsters that can speak up over there, do we kind of want to go through you know, some of the key position battles that we're going to be looking at you know, going into fall camps? Going into fall camp, I think a key position battle that seems settled would be for quarterback, Caleb Ellaby versus Griffin Allstott. Western Michigan's had incredible stability at the quarterback positions over the past couple of years. They had Zach Terrell as a four-year starter, and and then Caleb Ellaby. I mean, and then John Wasink is a three-year starter before having Caleb Ellaby. So Western Michigan usually has an established quarterback. Ellaby got some playing time in the 2018 season after Wasink suffered a season-ending injury, and I thought he was a very accurate quarterback with short throws. And he just needs to learn how to uh, extend his range, go a little deeper, and you'll be better. Because I remember his first game, he came out like 12 for 12 on completions against Toledo. Uh, I'm looking at the box score of that game right now. He finished 23 of 28 with two touchdowns. It was quite an entrance. LB also needs a little more mobility. John Wasink over the years was a tough runner. And I think LB could use some of that too. Uh, I think Griffin Allstott is their more mobile quarterback on the roster. Yes, he is related to the Mike Allstott, Super Bowl champion with the Buccaneers back in 2002. And I would not be surprised if we do see Griffin Allstott get some playing time this season, just because it's a short season and you see teams experimenting with a quarterback position a lot. We've seen a lot of teams play already use two quarterbacks. So I think that is a position battle to look for. And one other key position battle I would like to point out is the running back spot. Sean Tyler and Jackson Kincaid. Jackson Kincaid is a transfer from uh, Nevada, and he played a lot early on in his career at Nevada, but kind of lost some of his playing time and his role later on in his career. Uh, His most productive season was 2016, which was Western Michigan's Cotton Bowl season. It seems so far away now, but... I think he'll be sharing a lot of carries in the backfield with Sean Tyler after the departures of Levante Bellamy and Devon Tucker, who were Western Michigan's top two running backs a season ago. So I think those are some names to watch in the backfield. And who knows if Western Michigan will have another running back, maybe a young freshman emerge from the position too. That was kind of Tyler last year when uh, they needed a secondary back early in the Early in the season when Devon Tucker was injured, Sean Tyler went out in a game, I think it was against Georgia State, and had 100-something yards on just a couple carries and proved that he's a capable backfield. So I think those quarterback and running back positions will be, uh, just due to some departures, those will be some interesting positions this season to watch for Western Michigan. Oh, sorry, you've uh, you've caught me looking up some of these uh, facts here for that Georgia State-Western Michigan game. That was September 14th, 2019, trying to see what stats we have there. Now, in terms of, I guess you can look at it, look at the uh, uh, receivers. Uh, Sky Moore is certainly coming back. I believe he was the leading receiver in 2019. I don't have the stats in front of me necessarily, but... I, if I remember right, he was a conversion from a defensive back because uh, Lester has done some really strange experimenting on those two positions there. Uh, what do we have in terms of other receiving options now that, you know, Leachy has graduated? Is, uh, I do believe Bird is still on. No, Bird also transferred to Michigan State. He plays over there this year. So what else do they have down there in terms of depth? 
Sky Moore was not a conversion. I think the player you're thinking of was Dwayne Eskridge or DS. Dwayne Eskridge. Thank you very much. Yeah. And last season, he played cornerback and was pretty successful. He played uh, maybe like three or four games in non-conference play and was one of the team's leading tacklers. He had four pass breakups. And then he, they finally started using him on offense again against Syracuse. And he went down with a season-ending clavicle injury in that game. And we never got to see him from Eskridge again, unfortunately. But he is back on the roster this year. He's still a remaining member of the P.J. Fleck Cotton Bowl squad. And Eskridge is moving back to wide receiver this year. Although I have heard that he may still make some appearances at defensive back this year and play corner, which he succeeded at last year. So he's a nice utility player for Western Michigan to have, kind of like when Michigan used Jabril Peppers a couple years ago on both offense and defense. And I think Eskridge is maybe one of the top two cornerbacks on this roster, and he's also a top two receiver on this roster with Sky Moore. So I think he's a really interesting player to watch where he lines up in this season, and I'm just glad to see him healthy again. And other wide receivers that Western Michigan still has, uh, Corey Crooms is another name. He emerged late last season for the Broncos, had 12 catches, 148 yards, but Western Michigan lost some other receivers. Keith Mixon, the Mississippi state transfer, uh, gra- I believe he graduated. And then, uh, Jalen Hall, Western Michigan's wide receiver from last year, I think transferred to I'm trying to think where he transferred to, uh, I'm not sure exactly, but I don't think Jalen Hall is on the roster anymore. I say uh, ESPN lists uh, Jalen Hall being on the roster, though he may not. Although if he is supposedly transferring, he may not have chosen. No, oh, I'm thinking. Yeah. Of, I, I'm confusing him with Jaden Reed, who transferred to Michigan State. Yeah, that that that's that's what was happening to me. I'm confusing Jalen and Jaden, and there there's too many <laughs> similar names there. But uh, the fact check on Sean Tyler, it was six carries for 138 yards, two touchdowns, with an average carry of 23 yards. Average carry of 23 yards per game will win most football games, I would say. So Yes, usually. Uh, also game. in that game, uh, Bellamy was 15 carries, 192 yards, 12.8 per carry, with three touchdowns and a long of 73. Georgia State had nothing. So those six carries that Sean Tyler had in that game produced over a third of his rushing output on the season. He had 68 carries total, but those six produced over a third of his rushing output, and it produced 40% of his touchdowns. So a lot of his production was centered on one game, and that's one thing that he'll have to do this year is just be more consistent on a week-to-week basis in production. And I think he'll be able to do that more as a lead back, considering Bellamy got the bulk of the carries last year. Right, and uh, as that season faded down, they did start mixing Tyler in a little bit more, if I remember correctly. But it's it's much different being the complementary back as opposed to being the back. Uh, now, in terms of the offensive line, do we do we know outside of Yuriga, who's gone from the center, are they largely returning the same line, or are they going to have to go through some changes there? Yes, this is a pretty talented and veteran line, and you have a couple second-team All-Mac guys from a year ago on the offensive line. That would be left tackle Jalen Moore and left guard Mike Caliendo. I think Caliendo might be the best guard in the MAC this season, so that is definitely a name to watch. No relation to Frank Caliendo, uh, as hmm. far as I know. 
I've always wondered about that. Caliendo is is such a unique name that it's like, are they related at all? I do do not think that there's a relation there, but Mike is going to be another player that you might want to keep your eyes on for the NFL. Western Michigan sent so much offensive line talent to the league in recent years, from Willie Beavers to Chooks Okorafor to Taylor Moten. So... And then Luke Dariga also. So you might want to look at Caliendo as the next player in offensive line U. Actually, I think our series book, Central Michigan, is offensive line U. But Western's been producing a lot of good talent lately. Yes, and a, a brief aside, uh, when we did our positional U's, we, there was definitely a debate between Central and Western. Now, for me personally, I put Central up just because, like, you know, uh, Western, I think, ultimately is deeper in terms of graduating pros. But, like, CMU has two of the most recognizable Mac linemen in the last 20 years. And, you know, sometimes the talent trumps the depth. Yep, At least it did for me in that case. Starting left tackles in Super Bowl 54. That was, I think, I put Central Michigan also because of that reason. Yeah, let's say, Eric Fisher made a huge block on what I think what ultimately became the winning touchdown. Yeah, with Damian uh, Williams. Yeah, to be able to be able to secure that there, uh, that 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 that's off on another tangent. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, so we've talked a lot about offense, and that you know that's Tim Luster's specialty. We'll come back to Tim Luster and what they're planning on doing this season later. In terms of the defense, you said they're going to be losing a lot of one of their senior defensive leadership for a defense that wasn't really that great in spots. So let's just kind of break it down position by position. Let's start, you know, back in the trenches in that defensive line. Ali Fiad, Ali Fiad, Fiad returns at the defensive end spot. I remember that much. Uh, Let's try and go through the rest. Yes. uh, Fiad and Ralph Hawley are the two names to watch on the defensive line. They both had over 10 tackles for loss last year and both registered four and a half sacks. So those will be the key run stoppers and pass rushers from Western Michigan's front four. And I think their defensive line might be the specialty this year of the defense in terms of deepest position group. Now we'll get to their star of the defense in a little bit who plays outside of the defensive line, but I think the defensive line has is pretty deep in terms of returning talent. And another name on there was Andre Carter. He'll start on the defensive line. He had four sacks a year ago and uh, he was kind of a quiet name just because he hadn't played too much before last season, but he played nine games and he looked pretty solid uh, when lining up at the defensive end and he will be a redshirt sophomore this season. All right. Uh, you were, you were teasing it just before in terms of the linebacking unit. So you may as well get there in yep. terms of the linebacking unit. Trayshawn Hayward makes his return. I mm-hmm. think for his senior season, I was he one of the, uh, was he previously one of the opt outs? No, no, he wasn't. I think he was someone else. But uh, he's certainly back, and that's really exciting for Western Michigan's uh, linebacking core as he's their senior leader. Yes, Hayward was the top tackler in the MAC last year. He was fifth in all of uh, college football in solo tackles, third in total tackles, and he ranked among the MAC's best in tackles for loss. So he was just everywhere, a tackling machine, a great run stopper, and he was producing double-digit tackles on a weekly basis. Hayward was the 2019 MAC Defensive Player of the Year, also a prominent voice in getting the MAC 
and re- uh, returning to play along with Buffalo running back Jared. Uh, that's what I was. That's what I was thinking of there. Yes. Yeah, so uh, Hayward had a uh, had a big impact on that on social media. And last year alone, he had eight games with double digit tackles. So he was very consistent in his performance from a week to week basis, uh, peaking at 18 tackles against Eastern Michigan. And he's going to be the leader of this defense once more. He's a senior this year. I know all college football players will get another year of eligibility, but uh, I think Hayward also has a great chance of going pro after this year if he can produce similar results to what he did last year. The rest of the running back, uh, the rest of the linebackers, after replacing Jake Drake Spears and Alex Grace, the outside linebackers are a little inexperienced. But I'm expecting Zaire Barnes, uh, junior outside linebacker, to be a potential breakout player at the position this year. Uh, Western also has a pretty good history in their defensive backs as well. Like I remember dating, you know, all the way back to like 2011, 2012, watching Donald in yeah, names like that. Like, mm-hmm. you know, Selascar, who, you know, didn't quite have the pro career that we might have expected when he came out, but like was one of the best Mac defensive backs, you know, of his age. Like Western has always had at least one of those around, uh, swooping around back there at the defensive backfield. So who do we think are going to be the starters, you know, on the corners and in the safeties or some other contributors? Well, I can tell you Patrick Lupro is definitely going to be a starting cornerback. He was a third-team All-Mac selection a year ago, I think, and one of Western Michigan's best cornerbacks after Eskridge went down. So Lupro is going to be there. He led the team in interceptions a year ago, had three picks, six pass deflections. So he was pretty good in man coverage for the most part. They are losing, I think, Kareem Ali is not playing this year for Western Michigan because I have not seen him on any depth. Uh, I do believe Kareem Lee transferred to Temple. Let me check on that. I think that's where he came from, Temple. Well, that's where he came from. All right, I've typed it in. All I'm getting is Kareem Ali, musical artist. So that's, <laughs> not, that's not working out very well. But let's get, but but uh, let's continue. So I'll be looking at in terms of the safeties. Uh, safeties, AJ Thomas is still on campus. He's been Western Michigan starting free safety for a while now, and this will be his senior year. He's been very productive, just like Justin Tranquil. He was a great tackler out of the secondary. I thought he was pretty good at invading the backfield, stopping the run a lot of times, and he led the team in pass breakups a season ago. So AJ Thomas is definitely their strongest safety on the roster this year. In terms of a player to step up for Justin Tranquil at the strong safety position this year, I think I would have to go with Harrison Taylor, maybe. He had an interception a year ago, played very sparingly, but Western Michigan doesn't really have too much depth at strong safety after losing Tranquil. So I think Harrison Taylor might be the one who steps up and takes that role this year. He had some snaps last year against WKU, and I think his... I think he could be another player that Western Michigan uh, would demand a breakout season of just because Tranquil's been a staple of their defense for so many years now, and he finally has to be replaced. Yeah, perfectly understandable. I'm trying I'm trying to look up what happened to our friend Kareem Ali here. He, he retweeted like- me on Twitter today of my highlight interception I recorded at the first responder bowl last year. So he's out there somewhere. <laughs> 
Yeah, he, he's certainly out there. He, he he's still with us in the land of the living. Certainly, I think the last the latest thing I see was like a a forum message board saying Kareem Ali transfer portal question mark dated February two thousand twenty, which feels like a lifetime ago. Well, he had that. Uh, it was like an eighty-eight yard pick six in the first responder bowl last year, and that was a game changing play, or else WKU could have gone off big in that game, but. They'll, they'll miss him at cornerback, and who knows how much time D. Eskridge will play this year because I know it's definitely a possibility that Western Michigan lines him up at cornerback a lot last year after the success he had in non-conference play in 2019. Yeah, not too dissimilar from, say, uh, Tony LaPette at Michigan State or uh, trying to think of – well, I think Darius Phillips may have done some double duty as well. Yes, Phillips st- began as a wide receiver. Yeah, exactly. All right, so let's end our little uh, our roster check-in, shall we say, with uh, special teams. They were not good last year. Let's put it simple. The kicking was bad. Punting was average at best. Return game was okay. But, you know, sometimes you can add by subtracting. What's that situation looking like over there? Uh, I think the kicker battle is still going to be up for grabs between Thiago Caps and Gavin Petty, who they both both got the kick last year. Uh, Caps had more attempts; he had 15 attempts, and Petty had two. Uh, Petty had two, but Petty was the pr- primary kicker in 2018. So I think there's going to be an open battle in camp for that one. the The kicking hasn't been great. Uh, a year ago, I think they finished 10 of 17 on kicking, which is never ideal to be that close to 50% on field goals. And that is a huge reason why they didn't kick uh, that game-winning field goal in the WKU game is they did not hit a single field goal over 40 yards last year except for in their first game. So the since September onward last year, they didn't kick a single field goal over 40 yards. So I think Western Michigan's going to have to find a kicker who's more comfortable with that range going forward. And then the punting, you have Nick Milik still back there and serviceable punter. But with return game, you lose Keith Mixon Jr. So I think Sky Moore might get some of the punt return reps. And maybe Deshaun Bustle, another wide receiver, that's going to be on the depth chart this year. So I think it's going to be one of the two of them who will be the primary guy fielding punts and kicks for Western Michigan this season. All right, now let's take a look at the schedule here. As we know, it's a six-game schedule this year. Five division opponents, one cross-division. It seems that Western's gotten lucky this year because they're going to be playing Akron for their cross-division, and that will be right at the start of the year. Everyone is playing their Eastern Division rival the start of the year. They're going to be playing on the road. Then after that, they have their home game against Toledo at Central, and then two games in a row at home with NIU and Eastern before ending the season at Ball State. Uh, In terms of a prognosis of the season, how do you think that might go? Well, I think they benefited big time because the MAC East is stacked this year for probably more deep than I've ever seen the MAC East before. You have the reigning champion Miami. You have Kent State, who 
won their last four games last year and has Dustin Crum back. You have Buffalo, who I thought was the best team in the MAC a season ago with Jarrett Patterson, a great pass rush also. Then you have Ohio, who is always consistent under Frank Solich. And you avoid those four teams, and you get the Akron Zips, which haven't won since 2018. That is just a fortunate break for Western Michigan because guess what? All conference games count equally this year, and Western Michigan will probably start their season with a win just due to Akron's struggles over the past year. Tom Arth is still searching for his first win as the Zips head coach. So I think they lucked into a fortunate week one matchup. And in terms of the Mac West, I do not think there, there is a division with more parity in college football. Every game can be a win. Every game can be a loss. I could reasonably see all six teams winning the Mac West this year. And I could also reasonably see all six teams finishing in last place this year. So yeah, that, that's what I was noticing when I was trying to like uh, look at central stuff. Cause I'm working on a uh, central football previews right now. And it's just, it, every team there is both very good and also both very uncertain just because like, we don't know what all those rosters are going to look like. We don't know like how these game conditions are going to be. And we know, but the one thing we do know historically is that it's a very competitive division. And so it's just really hard to prognosticate a schedule yeah. like this. I remember last year writing an article about every single Mac West scenario. And this was with about two weeks left where almost every single team could have won it, except for Eastern Michigan, who was going to go bowling anyway, because they were successful in non-conference play. So there's a lot of parody in the Mac West. And I think Western Michigan might be hit hard this year, just due to losing a lot of talent from the previous year. And they haven't really proven under Tim Lester that they're any better than a 500 football program. We've seen six and six. We've seen seven and six. We've seen seven and six again. And Western Michigan never really made that breakthrough with all the talent on their roster. So I'm thinking that this season could be a down year for Western Michigan. They still might go, what, two and four in their MAC games, uh, assuming no postponements or cancellations. But still, I, I think two and four, maybe three and three is what you're looking at for the Broncos this year with one of those wins being Akron. That's that's actually very interesting that you bring that on. That was going to be my next question. Uh, Tim Lester is one of those coaches that I would think would be on the hot seat personally. And that's not just my, you know, my triple bias coming in or anything like that. But just looking at it subjectively, you pointed out his record six and six, seven and six, seven and six in the last three years. And now you're looking at a six game schedule. And you're saying, oh, he can go two and four, three and three. That's basically more or less the same record by winning percentage. And they're, you know, he's making approximately a million dollars a year. He's one of, if not the highest paid coaches in the Mid-American Conference. Uh, in terms of this upcoming schedule and Tim Lester's job status, like, is, I, I guess what I'm asking is, is, like, will he be held accountable in this season or? administrators when you look at this season as a well this is a strange season kind of deal i think most coaches should be excused this season i said that in my cusa preview i wrote for underdog dynasty on week one and like two days after that happened southern miss and jay hopson mutually agreed to part ways so who knows what's going to happen and lester's been a coach similar to hopson where he's just been flirting with about 500 for so long now and 
I think Western Michigan just wants a make or break season from him. But I, then again, I don't think Kathy Beauregard and the athletic department can really blame uh, poor performance this year just due to, I mean, you might have some guys sitting games due to uh, contact tracing or positive tests. You had minimal time to repair. There's six games this season and there's more volatility in your record with six games. Like last year, if the Buffalo Bulls played six games only to start the season, they're two and four, but they had time to learn and progress over the year. And they finished eight and five. And what, and I said, if the Mac season had a couple more games after December, Buffalo is a clear conference champion there. So I think a lot can happen this year. And I don't really think you can hold coaches accountable for poor performances, especially with a limited season this year, but Lester has to figure this out by 2021. He was handed a roster, although he lost a lot of guys from the PJ Fleck era, guys like Taylor Moten, Corey Davis, Zach Terrell. He was handed a roster that had just gone 13 and one made the cotton bowl. So Western Michigan fans had high expectations and he looked to be living up to those in that first game against USC, if you remember that game. I mean, there was that chaotic moment where everyone in the country was trying to figure out how to access Pac-12 network because it was tied to the 28 to 28 in the late second half. But Western Michigan hasn't really experienced too many highs since then, and they've had a lot of deflating losses. So they're going to have to figure things out. And I, I think having a good season this year, I don't think having a bad season will hurt, but I think having a good season could help how fans view Lester in this program's state right now. All right, I guess this will be the final question here. In terms of Mac West outlook, if you take a look at Western Michigan and their schedule, look at everybody else in their schedule, where would you expect them to finish in terms of the division? I'm going to say last or second last. I think Eastern Michigan, I think, is going to be last this year. I think the Eagles fall back a little. They're another team that's losing some senior talent. And Eastern Michigan really excelled in non-conference play a lot recently, but struggled in MAC play, uh, which is strange because they beat Big Ten teams every year. Not great Big Ten teams, but they beat Big Ten teams. And then they'll lose games to teams like Ball State and... Uh, the other directional Michigans. So I think Eastern's going to finish last, but I think Western and maybe Central are going to be hovering in that two and four, three and three range this year. I mean, I think NIU and Ball State might also be three and three. I don't know what the mathematical odds we can get of the entire Mac West being three and three is, but I think that's higher odds than a single team in that division finishing six and zero. Oh. Yeah, I'd, I'd say those odds are. I'd say those odds are pretty high, personally. It it just goes back to what we were talking about earlier. Like, the divisions are just so stocked this year that it's really difficult to, like, say for certain, you know, this is the team that's going to take it all. Uh, we were joking before we came on here that, you know, Toledo's the favorite every year because they always look so good on paper, and then they always kind of let us down, except for the one time they actually did it. <laughs> so, like, this time around, we don't really have anybody to say, like, you know, th- there's the favorite, there's your favorite. So, like, what's going to happen with, like, preseason stuff, personally? So, like, that's the kind of year that we're running into here, you know. Whether we wanted it or not, you know, this is more or less the football season that we're going to get. So, uh, with all that said, 
thank you very much, Steve, for popping on. You can find all of Steve's work on hustlebelt.com. And if you want to, Steve, if you want to throw out your social media profiles and all that so everybody can follow you around and where you work, feel free to do it right here. Yes. Uh, search Steve Helwick, H-E-L-W-I-C-K on Twitter. You'll be able to find me. I am S underscore Helwick. I do Mac writing for Hustle Belt. I've been, this is my fifth season covering the Mac for the belt. I also do CUSA and AAC for our sister blog, Underdog Dynasty. And also I'm always on Twitter tweeting a lot about the NBA if NBA is your thing also. So that is where to find me. Yeah, if you aren't already, go ahead and follow Underdog Dynasty. They are really great friends of ours. We do a lot of cooperation with them. You know, Jared, Cyrus, and all of them. Uh, Eric, they're all good people over there. So yeah, feel free to drop them that follow. Thank you again, Steve, for coming on. And uh, thank you for handing me the keys to the Ferrari. Sam and Zach, feel free to take it back. And with that being said, that's going to wrap it up for another episode of the Mid-American Bandwagon Podcast. Zach, uh, any final words for the people? No, I think we I think we had some great uh, great guests this week. I hope the, the people enjoyed them. I think uh, Lacey was great. Uh, Zach was great talking about Eastern Michigan. I know we're all getting ready for football, but you know it's cool to have Lacey on because basketball is right around the corner too, and I think some people forget about that. So it's good talking some hoops. You know, a good mix of hoops and, and football is always good for me. No doubt. The general news I thought was pretty interesting this week, not to mention a uh, shout out to Lacey James for coming on, joining us for the uh, kind of basketball interview. We haven't had a lot of basketball interviews. Our first NIU guest, so that's pretty exciting. And then shout out to Vax, Zach Banzi once again for joining us. As we mentioned, you could go follow him on Twitter, read his stuff uh, over at Hustlebell. He did two football previews, so shout out once again to him. But yeah, that's going to wrap it up for this episode of the Mid-American Bandwagon Podcast, episode 15. Next week will be officially four months of us doing this podcast. It's been a blast. You guys you guys have been killing it on the plays recently. I believe we're close to over we're close to 1400 plays so far. Keep showing love. We may have to do something for potentially 1500 cuz that's technically the next milestone. We'll have to figure it out. But yeah, keep showing your love. You can follow us at Mac underscore bandwagon to keep joining, keep increasing this bandwagon. But yeah, that's going to wrap it up for this episode. Hope you guys enjoyed and we'll talk to you guys next